Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover what it means to be predestined in Christ. What is our great inheritance and can we lose our salvation? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. From Paul's words, we see that we have an incredible destiny in Christ. So let's discover what that looks like. In the world, destiny is linked to an inescapable fate that cannot be avoided no matter how hard we try. The Greeks developed a form of drama based on human suffering called tragedy. Shakespeare was a master at writing in this form. But is this view biblical? Is there no hope of redemption if the gods have already cast their dies? We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a will and a desire for all humanity, and his will is that none would perish. Yet, Paul also said in 2 Corinthians, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The implication here is that while God's will is to save humanity, He also allows us to reject His salvation. In other words, we have free will, or maybe more accurately, we have the freedom to choose. The Lord declared to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you choice between life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. God provided Adam and Eve the ability to disobey him and eat of the forbidden fruit. And God has given us the same choice, to decide our destiny as one of two paths, one that leads to eternal life and the other to destruction. Yeshua warned us in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You see, without the freedom to choose, there can be no moral accountability. And since we are created in the image of God, He has made us accountable for our decisions. Therefore, His righteous judgments. But this freedom can also generate uncertainty with some Christians. Are we able to lose our salvation? Before we can answer this question, we need to understand God's will regarding humanity. We read in Romans chapter 9, it says, For who has resisted his will? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, 
and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And in the Old Testament, we read in Psalm 58, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. And in Psalm 71, it says, By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. These verses imply that God has created some human vessels for glory and some for destruction, even from their conception. Now, injecting Greek philosophy into this train of thought brings us back to tragedy and, unfortunately, the inescapable fate that cannot be avoided no matter what we do. But what kind of merciless God would create humanity in his image and then orchestrate their destruction without the freedom to repent and be saved? Well, not the God of the Bible. He is a merciful God who is not willing that any should perish. But then, why does it say he created some human vessels for glory and others for destruction? Well, the only possible conclusion is that God already foreknew those who would receive him and those who would reject his salvation. Because God is separate from his creation and because he created time, he is not bound by it. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the knower, the known, and the knowledge. There is nothing God does not comprehend and nothing he needs to learn. In other words, God already knows the end from the beginning, and he foreknew the eternal choice and fate of every human being, even before their conception. We read in Psalm 139, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. And regarding Israel, we read in Romans chapter 11, it says, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? So now that we understand that accepting God's gift of salvation requires us to make a choice, are we rightful in boasting about our decision? Well, not exactly, lest we erroneously think that we were somehow able to believe in God while others could not. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We're not saved by faith alone. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to believe in him. Just as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith and grace are required for our salvation, and both are a gift from God. Just as it says in Romans chapter 12, Through the grace given to you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses, and if we were dead, then we were also deaf and blind. We could not see or hear God, much less find him. So therefore, the Lord has given each person just enough faith to believe and receive his grace. And since our faith is not self-contrived, we boast in nothing of ourselves but Christ alone, 
Just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can add to God's work of salvation. And yet somewhere there remains for us an individual choice to either humble ourselves before an all-powerful God or harden our hearts against Him. You see, humility is the key, and the universal question that God has presented to every person is this. Is there a creator before whom I can annul myself and beg for him to deliver me from my inevitable fate of sin and death? Well, there is, and this person is Jesus Christ. He is the one through which all things were made, and without him, nothing created can exist. He holds the keys to life and death in his hand, and he chose to give his life as a ransom for ours. In Matthew 20, we read, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so just like Paul, we cry out, O wretched and sinful man that I am, Lord, will you deliver me from this body of death? And in response to that cry, Yeshua reaches down to us and with his loving and outstretched arm, rescues us from this kingdom of darkness. Receiving God's salvation, it's that simple and freely given to all. Just as it says in Romans 10, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. From our place of desperation, knowing that we are deserving of death, we've now encountered grace. And grace is God's unmerited and unconditional love towards us, even though we are undeserving of it. We read in Romans chapter 5, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John chapter 4, we read about true love, and it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love suffers long and is kind. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. And love never fails. Therefore, in receiving this great love, can we now lose our salvation? We cannot. And certainly not for any sinful behavior on our part. Our salvation is secure in Christ as he has already paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. However, we can choose to walk away from the Lord. But even in our wandering, I'm not convinced even this can entirely separate us from Christ. We read in Romans chapter 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I have met people who have expressed anger or frustration towards God because of difficulty in their life, but I've only encountered one or two who were once saved, born again of the Spirit, and for whatever reason, chose to reject God. But have these individuals relinquished their salvation? Well, I pray not, but there is danger for them, just as it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And we read in Hebrews chapter 6, 
For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So the Lord already knows who will receive him and who will reject his salvation. And for those who receive him, it says in Romans chapter 8, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. The intriguing part of this scripture tells us that God foreknew us, meaning he knew us before we knew him. And those he foreknew, he also predestined. Yeshua said in Matthew 25, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. So therefore we understand that salvation is the process of God revealing himself to those he foreknew, and that they would receive Christ so that we now also would receive and know our Heavenly Father. Just as we read in John chapter 17, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And in 1 John chapter 5, we read, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Yeshua is the revelation of God to his creation. It says in John 14, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Those who know Christ also know their Heavenly Father and have been invited into God's family and his kingdom. Yeshua said in Mark 3, For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God knows all his creation, but we cannot know him unless he reveals himself to us first. And unless he reveals himself, we cannot know him or enter his presence or his kingdom. Once again, this affirmed God's sovereign act of salvation, that he does not reveal himself to everyone only to those he foreknew who would receive him. Simon Peter answered Jesus, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him in Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, we read, Those he foreknew, he also predestined. But predestined to what? Well to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus Christ is both King and High Priest of Israel and all the nations. So therefore, we also are being transformed into kings and priests. We read in Revelation chapter 1, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, 
and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Christ, we are predestined to become a priesthood of all believers. And this theological perspective was reinvested into the church after the Reformation. And so we see that the Aaronic priesthood of Israel was a type, a shadow of the greater priesthood to come, that of Malchizedek, Malchizedek, who is both king and priest of Salem, Jerusalem. As the Lord promised to Israel in Exodus 19, he said, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood. As we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this promise has now been extended to the Gentiles who are in Christ, just as we read in Ephesians chapter 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And moreover, those whom God predestined, he also called. Called us to what? Well, we are called to serve God and man. Yeshua said in Matthew 25, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And Yeshua instructs us in John 13, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Again we read, and those he called, he also justified. It says in Romans 2, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And what is this law? Well, Paul continues in Romans chapter 2, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. In other words, we are justified by our actions, which are a reflection from and by the transforming and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. The Lord promised Israel, declaring in Jeremiah chapter 31, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Day by day, we are being renewed by the spirit of our minds. And this is our ongoing sanctification. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Our sanctification leads to the fruit of the Spirit. And the capstone is love. And the fruit of our love is good works. Those who do not love do not know God, for he is love. Yeshua said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good works were also predestined by the Lord. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And our good works are orchestrated by him. Psalm 37, we read, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Lastly, we read, Those he justified, he also glorified. And what does this glory look like? Yeshua told his disciples that he was glorified in his suffering, which was his death on the cross. Yeshua did not receive the glory through his powerful teachings, his wisdom, his prayers, or even his miracles. No, even before heaven and earth were created, Yeshua was glorified in his suffering. In Revelation 13, says the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yeshua prayed in John 17, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. God foreknew and predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Being the Christ is the firstborn over all creation, we also in Christ are the firstborn among many brethren. And we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And like him, we also will be glorified in our suffering. And our flesh will become a living sacrifice unto the Lord as we surrender and give up everything to follow him. We read in Romans chapter 8, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What a destiny we have in Christ. To know and be known by God, predestined to be transformed into the perfect image of his Son. We are a royal priesthood of all believers, called by the Lord to serve both men and God, and justified in our good works to glorify our Heavenly Father. Also to be glorified in Christ as we share in his suffering. So therefore, let us rejoice. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.